You know, over the years, I've had many conversations with, with parents who have children that are older, right? Their, their children are young adult age or adult age. And the one, the one common theme that runs through those conversations is, is this. Your parenting shifts and changes as your kids come out of high school and they step into their young adult and their adult years. So we've, we've started experiencing this with our son, Josiah, who moved away to Reading to go to uh, the Bethel S School of Supernatural Ministry. And we've noticed that our, our parenting has shifted. We've become more like coaches, right? When your kids are little, you kind of make the decisions for them, right? But as they get older and as they get grow out of your house and they become adults and young adults and adults, you shift more into this coach role where they begin to make decisions for themselves and you're kind of like on the sidelines just guiding and navigating and you're there for wise counsel but it's their decisions and they begin to carry the weight of those decisions so recently Josiah uh, made some decisions that were going to have a real drastic impact on his finances and so as we spent time with him talking on the phone and just walking him through his decision-making process and walking with him as he's wrestling with God and trying, his, trying to determine, God, what are you saying to me? Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Am I going to be walking out at your, you know, at your leading, at your direction? And so he's, he's wrestling these, these things out. And we came to this point where I told him in the conversation, I said, Josiah, it's one thing to live at home and walk out these decisions that have financial implications for you, but it's a completely different level situation when you're living on your own. And I, I told him, we were on FaceTime, I looked right at him, I said, you are about to get to know God as your provider on a whole new level. There's a sense when, you know, when, when they live at home, there's a, there's a safety net, right? Where they're there and you, you can jump in, I mean, it's no problem to jump in and there's a whole lot less responsibility, so to speak, right? You can make decisions that impact his finances, but he still has a roof over his head because he lives at home, right? But when you live away and far away, these, these decisions carry greater weight. You know, for us to know and carry the presence of God, who is present to provide we have to position ourselves with him. And what I, what I mean by position ourselves, I was really struggling with the, with the right terminology to what I was sensing God wanted us to talk about today. Positioning ourselves in him, it's knowing him, right? We touched a little bit last week from John chapter 15, it's 14 or 15, where Jesus is talking about, I am the vine, you know, you are, you are the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, Right, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're positioning ourselves in Jesus, in Christ, in the Lord. We get to know him. See, this, this requires us to know God on a deeper level when we are positioned in him and abiding with him than just casual acquaintance. This is not a casual friend relationship. This is a deep knowing. This is an intimate knowing. It's deep friendship, not casual acquaintance. So today we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, where we are given the, the very first revelation of Jehovah Jireh. So this is in Genesis chapter 22. And if you've got your Bible and it's a well-used, well-worn Bible, this is the area where the pages stick together. The Bible I'm using, this is, a, this is a newer Bible for me, but the one I have at home, which is many, many, many years old, like I think all the pages of Genesis just stick together. I don't know if it's oil from your fingers or what the case is, but they just, it's really hard to go to Genesis. So Genesis chapter two, 
starting in verse 1, and we're going to read almost this, whole, almost this whole chapter. So it says, Now after these things, God tested the faith and the commitment of Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Here I am. God said, Take now your son, your only son of promise, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And then he got up and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day of travel, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham said to his servants, Settle down and stay here with the donkey, and the young man and I will go over there and worship God, and we will come back to you. Then Abraham took the wood uh, for the burnt offering and laid it on the shoulders of his son Isaac, and he took the fire in his own hand and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac said to Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two walked on together. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound Isaac his son and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. The Lord said, do not reach out with the knife in your hand against the boy. And do nothing to harm him, for now I know that you fear God with reverence and profound respect, since you have not withheld from me your son, your only son of promise. Then Abraham looked up and glanced around, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be seen and provided. Abraham continually positioned himself in alignment and in relationship with God. And this is how he was able to encounter the presence of God who was present to provide. But his positioning himself, his friendship with God didn't start in this moment. See, and in this moment, in this story that we read, he already has history with God. He's got like 60 years of history walking with God because his first yes came 10 chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12. See, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is living with his father in the land of Haran. And God spoke to him and he said this, go forth from your country to the land which I will show you. And then he goes on to say, I will make you a great nation. And then it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham's yes to God positioned himself to know God's presence and to know God. It was his yes. And this is what led to Abraham being led to Abraham walking with the Lord and the Lord being present to provide when Abraham needed it. See, your yes positions you in relationship with God to carry the presence of God in your life. See, it's our yes that brings us into alignment with Jesus and into alignment with his purposes for our lives. See, with, without that yes to him, we're living in rebellion. We're living counter to Jesus, counter to his ways. And God's presence cannot be carried by someone who is living counter to him, who's living in rebellion to him. It's our yes that slides us into that relationship with him in, and positions us to carry 
his presence. Genesis 12 may have been Abraham's first yes, but it definitely wasn't his last. He kept saying yes over and over and over and over again for the rest of his life. See, we have no idea what our yes to God will lead to. Yes is the beginning. It's the starting place. It's the first step of the greatest adventure of your life. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived before Jesus. When you say yes to him, you start the greatest adventure you will ever know. It doesn't matter what he asks. We need to say yes, because it's worth it. Whatever he asks of us, it's worth it. See, without our yes, there's no carrying his presence. Without our yes, there's no holding on to the revelation of God, our provider. Without our yes, we can't hold on to that promise of scripture. Now listen, he might very well still provide for you, but that provision comes out of grace. That provision comes out of, out of mercy. It doesn't come out of relationship because it's your yes that brings you into relationship with him. He is the God that causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall. Scripture says on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the New Testament. The sun rises and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, but for the righteous, for those who have said yes to God, for those who have positioned themselves in him, in relationship with him, that provision comes from that relationship. For the unrighteous, it's just the grace and mercy of God being poured out. It's literally his kindness being poured out on the world, leading them into a place of repentance. I said yes to Jesus as a 20-year-old. As a 20-year-old, that was miserable in life. I was unfulfilled. I was unsatisfied. I had this tremendous gaping hole in my life that I could not fill no matter what I tried. I was angry. I was selfish and self-centered. And I still remember the moment. Jesus had been speaking to me for months and months. And the moment I said yes, I said this to him. This is my yes, and you have it forever. My answer will never change. It doesn't matter what you ask of me, where you send me, my answer will always be yes. Family, I've got more stories of adventures with Jesus and of, of, being, of him being present in my life to provide for me in miraculous ways than I can even remember. I know that I've forgotten countless times where Jesus has shown up and provided for me simply because I said yes to him and have that ongoing relationship with him. I positioned myself inside Jesus to abide with him. Life hasn't been easy. I've walked through some stuff, gone through some troubles and some trials, some traumatic events, but who hasn't? I mean, seriously, lift your hand. If you've, you've so far in life, you've made it through unscathed. <laughs> I don't see any hands. I can't imagine walking through life apart from Jesus. I don't know where I would have been if I would have had to walk through all of those things all on my own without him. Because the, truthfully, there were times when I wasn't walking. He was just carrying me along because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. 
Abraham said yes, and then he followed it up with obedience. Right in verse two, God said to him, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Isaac is the promise of God to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. This is, the, this is the, the actual manifestation of the promise where God said, I will make you into a great nation. He said that to Abraham and Sarah and they had no kids. Like there's no, there, was no, there was no one to raise up behind them. There was no offspring, there was nothing. And so in order to be made into a great nation, you gotta start with at least one child. And this is all they had. It was Isaac. He was the son of promise. And God says, I want you to take that promise and I want you to give it back to me. I want you to sacrifice it. They waited 25 years from that first time God spoke and called them, said, I will make you a great nation until the day that Isaac was born. They waited 25 years 25 years is a long time to hold on to a promise. What do we love more? Do we love the promise or the promise giver? See, if Abraham loved the promise more than he never would have walked up that mountain, he would have also missed out on experiencing the presence of God who was present to provide. He would not have had the revelation of Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. What do we miss out on when we hold tighter to the promises of God than we do to, the, to God? See, it's, it's possible. You can live your life. You can say yes to God and not live in total obedience to him. I'm not saying this is the best way to live. I wouldn't advise anyone to live this way but you can do it. You can say yes to Jesus and receive salvation. You have that relationship with him, but then still hold back part of your life. And you're like, no, no, this, this area over here, Jesus, you can have all of that, but I want this area for me. I wanna hold on to this. You can, you can hold on to dreams that he didn't give you. You can pursue things that he's not in and doesn't have for your life. And you can even have sin deep down inside that you just wanna hold on to because you don't wanna let it go. You can even hold on to what he has promised, what he has given you and love it more than you actually love Jesus. But if we do this, if that's, the, if that's the life that you choose to live, then you are going to miss out. You will never experience all that he has for you. Until we live a life that is laid down before Jesus, we will not experience all that he has for us. Some people I see, I know, I counsel, we walk with, and they are struggling in life. And I'll tell you right now, they are struggling in life because they have not surrendered. They said yes to him. They welcomed Jesus into their life, but they are not living a surrendered life. And that's why they're struggling. Jesus doesn't want much. He wants it all. Many of you have probably, probably heard this, this story, but for years, Renee and I had dreams of living in California. Since we were children, long before we ever knew each other, we each separately had dreams of living in California. God fulfilled those dreams for the first time in 2008 when he moved us here. We, we were pastoring in San Diego for five years. And whenever anybody asked me how I was doing, I always had the same response. I'm living the dream. 
I'm living it because I did. I felt like I was living the dream. Like, does it get any better than this for me in that moment? The answer was no. And then came the moment, the moment God said, I want you to leave. I don't, this, was, this was the hardest decision for us because we felt like God, like God gave us this dream. You know, he, he fulfilled it and here we are, we're living the dream. And then he says here, I don't just want it back. I want you to sacrifice it. Because when we left, there's no way to come back. Like we could come back to visit, but, but the immigration process is over. Like we, we shut the door. There was, it was a miracle to get here in the first place. And as soon as we left, that, that miracle was over. There was no way just to turn around and, and move back. But we obeyed. We obeyed even though it was hard. We obeyed even though as we drove out of San Diego County, there were tears running down our face, mourning the loss of our dream. But it was worth it. It was worth it. See, if we didn't leave, if we didn't move back to Canada, I wouldn't be here as your pastor. This is how I, this is how I got here because we said yes and we sacrificed the dream. If we didn't leave, then Joel and Kaylee wouldn't be here. See, because we met Joel and Kaylee in the church that we went to and we started relationship with them. Before, they, before that they were, they were just casual friends and then they were more than friends and then they started dating and then 100 days later, we performed their wedding ceremony. Just, just a fun fact, from start, from, from relationship to I do was one exactly 100 days. I, would have, I wouldn't be, if we didn't say yes and go, sacrifice the dream, I wouldn't be the man that I am today because God shaped me and he molded me and he matured me and he knocked some of the hard edges off my life. And you might say, he, he's got some more work to do. He does. I would have missed out on relationships. I would have missed out on, on leading people into relationship with Jesus because we saw people saved. We saw people healed. We saw people delivered. And we saw people step into the God-given destiny that God had, that, that had for them on their life. They were set free. Obedience to Jesus at all costs. It is the only way to truly live. The, like, you, the, the extent that you come alive is the extent to which you're willing to die. That's it. Right, we die to Jesus and then we come alive. And if you're gonna hold on to parts of your life where you're like, I refuse to let that go, then you're capped at how much you're really truly going to live. You know what Abraham did after God told him to sacrifice Isaac? He went, he woke up, he woke up early the next day and he left. He split the wood, he got his knife, he got his fire, he got his servants and they started on the three-day journey. He didn't wait. He didn't negotiate with God. He didn't question God. God, was that, was that you? Did I really hear you? Listen, <laughs> Abraham had never sacrificed a human being before. This was outside of the box. But he didn't wrestle with God. He didn't, he didn't sit and like, I'm, I'm gonna wait till I get confirmation. God, if, if you do this, then I'll know it's you. God spoke, he woke up, and he left. You know, I remember the very first time after I become lead pastor of the first church, 
so it's not at this church, so I'm not referencing anybody here. I've been the pastor for about a week, and the very first time someone came to me and told me that they were leaving the church. This is what they said to me. They, 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 they came, you know, this husband and wife, they came and they said, Pastor, two years ago, God spoke to us and told us that we were supposed to move on to another church. I stopped, I stared them straight in the face. I said, what took you so long? There's only one kind of obedience, quick obedience. See, delay, delay is disobedience, right? They walked in disobedience to what they're telling me God told them. For two years, they walked in disobedience. See, it's obedience positions us to know God. Obedience positions us to be in the presence of God, to carry the presence of God who is present to provide. It's obedience. So Abraham travels the three days to the place where God told him, tells him to go. And when he gets there, he makes two absolutely stunning faith statements. The first one we find in verse five, he's, he says to his servants, I and the lad or I and the boy will go over there and we will return, we, we will worship and we will return to you. And then again in verse seven and eight, Isaac, as they're walking along, this is where Isaac says, hey, dad. And Isaac says, yes, I see the fire. I see the wood, but where's the lamb? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Neither of these statements are rooted in what God told Abraham. Like, don't ever forget. He said these things and it had nothing to do with what God told him. God told him to sacrifice his son. And so he, that's, that's what he's going to do. But he told his servants, we will go over there and worship and then we will come back to you. And he, he, tells, he tells Isaac, he said, God will provide a lamb. Not God will provide a sacrifice because God already provided the sacrifice. It was Isaac. But Abraham's faith is God will provide a lamb. Faith positions us in relationship with God to carry the presence of God so that we will know the God who is present to provide. Because God is not moved by your need. Needs do not move God. See, my need, what I need in my life does not cause God to provide for me. It doesn't matter if it's the need of healing or the need of provision or the need of a miracle. It's not need. See, if God were moved by need and it was need that determined how God provided, then the poorest countries of the world would be the richest countries of the world because they're in the greatest need. So we wouldn't have any poor people. There wouldn't be any hungry people. There wouldn't be any sick people because they've all got the greatest need. Needs don't move the hand of God. What moves the hand of God? Faith. God is moved by faith. Faith is the currency of his kingdom. Faith is how we receive salvation. It's by faith alone that we start that relationship to Jesus. We say, like, when you say yes to him, that is a faith statement. You're saying yes to somebody that you cannot see, believing something that you weren't there to witness, that he is God. Jesus is God in the flesh who gave himself on a cross instead of your life, his life for your life. And he didn't stay dead, but he raised again three days later. And where they laid him in the tomb, it's empty. He's not there. And you believe that by faith because you didn't see it. Faith is how we access the promises of God. It's all received by faith. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's a faith walk, not a sidewalk. It's by faith. Abraham was walking up the mountain to slay his son, and yet he declares to his servants, we will be back. We all have needs. If I asked, no one would raise their hand and be like, I'm need free. I don't need nothing. We, we, like, we are a needy people. And it's not just us in this room, but just people. We are needy. So we've all got needs. But faith positions us to have those needs met by the God that we have said yes to, by the God that we know, by the God that we have a relationship with, and we carry his presence and we experience him as the God who is present to provide. See, another layer or aspect of, of faith is trust. Abraham trusted when he didn't understand. <laughs> come on, come on. God, God says, sacrifice your son. There's no understanding there. Like there's no logical or rational way to comprehend what, you, what he just heard God say. Yes, at the time there were other nations around them that did human sacrifice, but this is the son of promise. This makes no sense. There's no logic in this. Faith and trust go hand in hand. See, we believe God and then we walk in total trust. Abraham trusted God to the point of sacrificing his promised son. You know who else trusted? Isaac. You realize, like I know when, when you, if you look at, our, at, at paintings and art of this moment in scripture, Isaac's this little boy. He's 37. That changes the whole aspect of the entire story. How old is, how old is Abraham? 137. Does anybody for a moment believe that a 137-year-old man could overpower and tie up a 37-year-old man? No, there's no way. The trust level that Isaac had in God and in his father is off the charts. Trust keeps me positioned in the presence of God because understanding isn't required. Man, for, for those, for, you know, sometimes we freak out. We don't understand what God is doing and we completely lose it. I don't understand God. Where are you? What are you doing? How could this possibly? I have never, ever, not once ever seen anything in here that told me I was going to understand. It tells me to have faith. It tells me to trust. It tells me to have a relationship with him. Pretty sure I can find just at least a couple references where it's going to tell me that I will not understand. You check your understanding at the door. You don't check your mind at the door. You just check your understanding. I've said this before. I will guarantee you've heard this before. I don't want to serve a God that I understand because if I reduce God to something I understand, then I've reduced God to me. And 
an angel stops Abraham at, at the moment. Man, Isaac is tied up. He's laid on the altar. Abraham's got the knife in his hand. The knife is, the, his hand, his arm is extended. And he is about to kill his son. And the angel calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Not a moment too late. And in that moment, he looks up, he looks around, and he sees a ram caught in the bushes, and he knows God as his provider, Jehovah Jireh, which literally means the God who provides, my God, my provider. See, when God is present, he provides. And we know from the whole of Scripture, right? We don't just take one aspect of Scripture and, and, and pull it out and separate it from the entire book. But from the front to the back of Scripture, we know and we understand that God provides for our physical needs. Jesus said that the Father knows all things. He knows everything that we need before we ever even ask. So before you ask for something from him, he already knows that you need it. This is why Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. He's got it. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, and my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. It's not according to our riches, according to what I have in the bank account. It's according to what he has in his bank account. But when we look at the first mention of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, what is it that was provided? A sacrifice. That's what was provided. God provided what he asked for. <laughs> God provided the miracle. It wasn't just physical felt needs and I'm not downplaying all those because those are very, very important. But he asked Abraham for the sacrifice and then he provided that sacrifice. It's really interesting as I was just diving in and when I, when I study and, and prepare passages, I like to look at the original language. And so as I was studying, I was looking at the Hebrew. The word Jira doesn't literally mean provide. It actually means to see. Abraham says, like when, 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 when Isaac says, hey dad, where's the lamb? And then we read in the scripture, it says, God will provide a lamb. What, what Abraham literally says is God will see to it. See, our, our English word provide comes from the Latin word, and I'll, I'll completely butcher this, providere. That's probably not how you, I, if you speak Latin, I'm sorry, but does anybody speak Latin? Sweet, that's 100%, that's how that's pronounced. But that word in Latin literally means to foresee. And the underlying idea is seeing something at a distance or seeing something before it, before it comes towards you beforehand. And when you see something coming, you can make arrangements and you can prepare for it. Pro meaning before and videri meaning vision. The revelation of Jehovah Jireh shows us that God, who is outside of time, who's outside of space, that's a, that's a, that's a man-made constraint, time and space. God is outside of that. He sees everything before it actually takes place and he makes provision before we get along the timeline to that place. He's already provided for it. We're just walking up to the moment in time and space where the provision is already there. Like the, lamb, like the ram was caught in the bushes before they ever got there. They just had to catch up to what God had already done outside of time and space. 
See, it's our responsibility to position ourselves in his presence, in relationship with him. It's our responsibility to know him, to know the presence of God who is present to provide so that we can experience his provision. And then as I close, I I don't want you to miss this. During the most difficult time in Abraham's life, during the hardest trial that he had ever walked through, Abraham spoke out that God would provide. Can you just stop for a moment, put yourself in Abraham's sandals, and imagine the turmoil going on in his heart? What he is experiencing as he is walking with his one and only son? Yet in the end, he named that place, the, the name that he gave that place spoke nothing of the trial, but everything of God's provision. This anonymous mountaintop that Abraham named, not by a name that memorialized his trial, but it talked about God's deliverance, Jehovah Jireh. He didn't say anything about his obedience. He didn't say anything about his trust. He didn't say anything about his yes or his faith. And we know that Abraham was a man of faith, great faith, but he didn't name that place for any of those things. But everything of God's provision. See, we we know Jehovah Jireh because that's what Abraham said. How often do we come through trials and situations that are just horrible and we look back and we just talk about how horrible that situation was. We just continue to talk about what we went through and what that person did and I still got the knife in my back and you know, like oh, I burned them bridges and all that. We talk about all of this stuff and we don't ever point to the God who provided. When you come through your trial, you came through. It's not time to memorialize the trial. It's time to memorialize the God who brought you through, how he provided for you, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the God who is present to provide. When we position ourselves, when we know him, really know him, not casually, but really know who he is. And that's what Abraham focused on. We rest in knowing that he is present to provide whatever we need, wherever we are. I want you to close your eyes this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you for speaking to us. I know that you've been speaking. If you're here today and you don't know you don't know God, you haven't said yes to him, taking that first step, I just simply just want you to raise your hand. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I did a long time ago, but I stopped saying yes and I've just been a disobedient, rebellious person. And I wanna, I wanna re-up my yes, come back into relationship with him. Then just simply slip your hand up. Oh, we'll wait a moment. Yeah.
other thing that I want to that I want to do. I mean, the call to knowing God. We're pretty much really guilty of like dumbing it down. We dumb it way down. We say, just say yes to him. Just say yes to him. But the call isn't just to say yes. The call is to come and die. All of me for all of him. That's what it is. All of me for all of him. I don't want us to be a church that dumbs down the call of God on our lives for salvation. It's not a card that you put in your wallet and carry around. I've got the salvation card. It's a lifestyle of continual surrender. And we can, we can all surrender more. Like, I don't think there's a person in this room who's like, man, I've, I've given it all. I've laid it all down. I've sacrificed it all. There's always something. You know, and if you are like, man, I've laid it all down. I've given it all. Then you, you can sacrifice that pride you're holding on to. So the call, the continuous call, and it's not mine, it's, it's Jesus' call is to come and die. And so wherever you are on that, if you're like, yes, I'm saying yes to that. I just want you to raise your hand. And again, you know, just close your eyes. No one looking around because this isn't about me and who raises their hand or who doesn't. This is all about you and your life with Jesus. That's what it's about. And your raised hand is just an outward symbol of what's actually taking place on the inside saying, yes, Jesus, all of me for all of you, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, whatever the price, because you are worth it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to draw us into that place of laying down our lives in total surrender to Jesus. The lifelong pursuit of dying to self and living for Christ. So wherever we are, help us to surrender a little more and a little more and a little more. In Jesus' name, amen.